1: Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you for joining me once again as I talk to an incredible expert about all the amazing things that they know that I don't know and that you probably don't know. Both of our minds are going to be blown together. We're going to have a great time. Let's talk about gig work and specifically all of these apps that have changed our lives. We now use, I used them today, we use Uber and Lyft to get around, we use DoorDash, Seamless, and Instacart to get things, food, products dropped off, and of course we use Amazon for just about everything. These companies have transformed our lives, they have made the world so much faster and more convenient, if not always cheaper, and they've done it, they say, through technology, right? They use technology to coordinate and to manage people, to, to let people People, uh, you know, run their own uh, gig-driving businesses or, or uh, you know, make a little extra money working in a warehouse during the winter, during the during the Christmas rush, right? Well, the truth is a little bit darker because the real secret sauce that allows these companies to deliver us their services so fast and so cheap is not just technology. It's treating people like machines. Let's look at Amazon, one of America's largest employers at this point. Inside Amazon warehouses, employees are constantly monitored. If you work too slowly or catch your breath too often or even go to the bathroom too much, you can be fired for taking too much T.O.T. That stands for time off task. Some warehouses even feature a device that shines a spotlight on the item a worker needs to pick up to stop them from taking what an employee called micro-rests in between picking up an item. (laughs) Because if you take micro-rests, you know, just a little pause to catch your breath, how can you meet quotas requiring you to place 700 items each hour? And this is not safe work. You have to lift, carry, and move items constantly, which means it's no surprise that an investigation of 23 Amazon warehouses found that nearly 10% of their full-time workers sustained serious injuries in 2018. And pain is such a constant part of Amazon warehouse employment that their warehouses actually feature painkiller vending machines. That is real. That is a real thing. And things are just as bad for the workers that drive your package to your front door. Drivers for Amazon have to consent to machine learning enabled surveillance in their car before they can even start work. And the hours can be so grueling, the pace so ridiculous, that drivers end up pissing in bottles just to stay on schedule. That's right, to keep their jobs, drivers piss in bottles while being taped by AI cameras in their Ford Sprinter. It is not the wonderful work paradise that the tech industry promised us. The secret sauce, in other words, of the gig economy is not a proprietary algorithm. It's X exploitation. These companies have, simply put, amassed monopolistic control over huge swaths of our economy, and then use that monopoly power to fuck over workers. But there is some good news. Workers and the politicians who represent them are starting to fight back, and there are signs that things could suck less. California just passed a bill setting quota limits for warehouse workers, and New York City passed a groundbreaking law to guarantee wages and protect food delivery workers. So, What does the future of worker rights in the tech era look like? Well, to discuss today on the show, we have a guest. We've been trying to book her for so long because her work is fantastic. Her name is Vina Dubal. She's a law professor at UC Hastings, and she studies workers and tech. And let me say before we go to the interview that that California law I just mentioned, well, when we recorded this interview, it hadn't been signed by the governor yet. So we talk about it as though it's struggling on the precipice when in reality, hey, it actually has been passed. So without further ado, please welcome Vina DuBall. Vina, thank you so much for being here.
1: I'm really, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you. I've followed your work for a long time. uh, The work that you do writing about and researching labor issues and the tech industry and how those two things connect. Uh, We're going to have a ton to talk about. I want to start by talking about this new uh, bill in California, I believe, that is about uh, making sure that Amazon workers have the right to to use the bathroom. Can you tell me about this bill and why? that seems like a pretty basic measure. Why is it controversial?
1: Yeah, um, it is super simple. Um, it does two things. This is AB seven hundred one. It's been passed by the California Senate and Assembly, and it's sitting in front of Gavin Newsom's desk as we speak. Um, and he has not signed it yet. He has hmm. roughly two weeks to sign it. Um, but he's he's, getting... he's got
0: a, he's got a lot to do. He's really? a busy guy. He's relaxing by the <laughs> pool true. after beating the recall and not you know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's right. no there's no uh, controversial reason that he wouldn't be signing it, right? You yeah. Just... No.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. We can only we could we should we should hope. So it's facing a lot of opposition um, mm. from Amazon and from industry. And what it does is it says that that com- companies like Amazon that have um, that have these warehouse workers have to do two things. One, they have to report their quotas to regulators, um, the quotas that they set for workers. And this is really important because it just offers a window, a descriptive window into what is happening in the warehouse. Um, Right now, everything that we know is happening, we get from workers and through anecdotes. And so this is a way for us to really understand concretely how severe the conditions are in the warehouse. So really just a, a you have to tell, tell us what the quotas are. Um, and the second thing is that it makes it unlawful for a company like Amazon to prevent warehouse workers from doing things that they need to for their health and safety. So if a worker has to pee, for example, um, preventing a worker from peeing in order to meet their quota would be unlawful. Um, this is pretty basic. We have health and safety standards yeah. already written into the law. It doesn't shock, is it not shocking this idea that, that workers should need to go to the bathroom or they should need to um, be able to change their tampon or pump breast milk? These are um, these are things that pretty much are already covered by um, California health and safety laws, but are ignored um, in this particular industry. And so- wow. It's really mild. I think any, anyone, um, any layperson who hears about this bill would just be like, of course, like, why do we even have to legislate for this? Um, but Amazon doesn't like it because these companies don't like being told what to do um, um, with their businesses. And if we have a concrete sense of of how severe their quotas are, um, they won't be able to, to use PR spin to get away with what they're doing. And so they've been saying that um, just like using all the sort of anti-union propaganda to say, oh, this is just an effort to unionize the workers, um, that no one, you know, the unions don't really care about the workers, even though this is not about collective organizing at all. It's really about state regulation or even just seeing what is what's going on
0: but they're also fighting back on the specific point of just ensuring that workers have access to a bathroom like i saw a quote From the California Retailers Association, which Amazon is on the board of, according to uh, this interview with you, I read um, where they say, quote, establishing potentially open ended employee access to bathroom facilities will make employers ability to enforce production standards even more complex. So they're specifically saying a guaranteed right to go to the bathroom would fuck with our shit. So we don't want to do it. And so they they are arguing we must have the ability to prevent employees from using the bathroom freely, which is like, I I mean, I don't know. To me, that's an extremely basic workplace. It would never would have occurred to me that, you know, a workplace in the United States would prevent people from using the bathroom when they need to use the bathroom that, that's something I would have yeah. expected to hear about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory or or conditions like that in like the 20s yeah. where you're you're chained 100%. to your work your, your desk.
1: Yeah, it should shock the conscience, um, and what I think it, the fact that they you know wrote that without um, without realizing how it would be received um, speaks to how companies like Amazon have really taken the low road. Um, yeah. For them, workers are cogs in the machine. Um, they haven't replaced the workers with, with robots, um, but they've just turned workers into robots and, um, and expected that they behave like robots. And, um, and you're right, it's totally the kind of human rights issue that we would critique another country um, for, for violating. And yet, like the Retailers Association is like, this is their stated official opposition.
0: So I I, I just have to ask, like, how did we get here? I mean, you know, we've had a a labor movement in America for, for well over 100 years, about 150 years now. We've got you know, uh, even with the fall of, you know, the the relative decline of unions, we've got OSHA, we've got a federal department of labor. We have regulations all over the place. California is a state with a relatively large amount of regulations compared to, you know, other states in America. How do we get to a state where we are having to like a bill, to protect this extremely basic human need is controversial at all. That seems like such a huge backslide. How do we get to this place? That's
1: a great question on the subject of much research. But I, you know, I'll <laughs> say a couple of things. We definitely the decline of unions in the past, you know, sixty years has really um, declined worker power more broadly. It has. I think people are um, not thinking as much. Regulators and and workers are not thinking. You know, consumers are not thinking as much about um, about the necessity of work regulations. And um, and then we have these tech companies who um, from, you know, Uber to Amazon, who have really rapidly in, you know, in one decade changed consumer expectations around speed um, and service. And to meet those, those, and they've done this in order to establish Mm. monopolies, right? Like when things are so easy, when all you have to do is, is click a button on your phone um, to purchase something and it lands on your doorstep in two days, or all you have to do is click a button on your phone and a really cheap ride shows up in the form of of an immigrant worker. Um, It's (laughs) so easy. And you, um, you get you get addicted to it
0: in places like Los Angeles where I I remember being in Los Angeles before Uber. I was here for, for like six months. And I was like, God, how do I get around this city? I got to go back to New York. And then when I finally had to move here for work five years later, Uber existed. And I was like, Oh, I can get to and from the comedy club. And get home again, and it, it actually—we've t- talked about this on the show—but like you know, it it actually filled a gap that people needed filled that right. this that the city wasn't filling, the state wasn't filling, and you know, Amazon has did the same thing for a lot. A lot of people have access to goods they wouldn't have access to before. So uh, right. you know, it's no, not absolutely. just the convenience; it's they they really did fill this they, need, yeah. but yep. at what cost?
1: At what cost? Right? And and I think that they the need. Um, particularly say in in like you know getting your body from point A to point B was really in many ways a failure of governance. Like the fact that LA has no mm-hmm. public transportation system to speak of is a failure of of municipal governance. Like yeah. why can you not get um from from work to home in LA without sitting in traffic for two hours, that it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it's absolutely a failure of urban planning. It's a failure of municipal governance. And so, um, you know, you had these companies come in to fill this gap and the way that they filled it um, was through this particular business model where they wanted to occupy the entire sector. And we know in capitalism that, that the tendency for, um, for industry is to, is towards monopolization because the more you sort of the more set, the more of the sector you occupy the more power you have the higher prices you can you can provide and the less likely you're ever going to go out of business and so um, they you know tech has learned in the last few years in the last decade that the way that you create monopolies is you create convenience um you you get people to use your service at very very low prices um you are subsidizing uh your company is being is being subsidized by venture capital so even though you're losing mm-hmm. money by offering really low prices you do it because you can and and monopolies is the name of the game you you know everyone gets addicted to uber it becomes a verb And, Mm -hmm. um, and you Uber from, from home to work or from the club to work and, or the club to home and, and, um, and that's what's happened. And now what we will see is, um, is prices will rise for consumers. Um, We've already, we're already seeing this. I saw a huge taxi line at SFO the other day because prices, um, Lyft and Uber prices were astronomical and people were getting in line to, to use taxis again, um prices are going to going to go up this is true we've already seen on amazon actually and, and i think consumers don't notice notice this but um the things that you buy on amazon in many instances are actually much more expensive than they would be if mm-hmm. you went to you know walmart or target um but but such is the case this is how they're going to they're ultimately going to turn a profit through the addiction through the consumer addiction and um and the subsidizing of price of prices initially to facilitate that addiction and The other thing, in addition to being cheap, is is that they did, and this is relevant to our conversation, in addition to making everything really cheap, they made everything really fast. And Mm -hmm. um, in in an age where people like me and you are working really long hours, um, you know, no one does a 40-hour work week anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a professor, I'm tenured, I have job security, I probably work 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, It's hard for me to get my groceries we all just live this like really quick lifestyle, like all of these things that were that either for, for, you know, for decades, someone else did in the family when we had like these, the, the, uh, you know, a breadwinning model of family where a a wife stayed at home and did the grocery shopping and did the cooking. Um, and all of a sudden now we have, you know, we have these dual family incomes because we can't survive with, (laughs) with just one person working and, (laughs) Um, and there's no time to do any of these service service things. And so we've, you know, farmed them out to, to, to companies um, to have their workers do it. And in order to compete with one another, they need to be super fast. So yeah. I think, you know, to answer your question, which was at the, at the, at the beginning, which is how did we get here? Um, a big part of it just in the last decade is how these companies have preyed on and um, and shifted consumer expectations. Now, to meet those expectations, what happens beneath beneath um, beneath the surface is absolute exploitation of of labor. Yeah. Um, I always say, you know, you would never um, put a slave in your basement and make that person buy you clothes or make clothes for you so close for right. you but like when we buy from h&m and you know these mm-hmm. these fast fashion companies like that may very well be what is happening um and we just don't know about it and in these instances in the warehouses in the in the service economy a lot of this and the ride hail industry the food delivery industry these services are happening not in bangladesh or um or in um in you know, in Yemen, they're happening here in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. So it's harder to hide. And what these, this bill does is try and AB 701, try to, to stop hiding it. So we see it. Um, and, and I think the hope ultimately is that it will shock the conscience that those of us who use Amazon um, will be like, Hey, is like, do I really need, um, do I really need those sponges that I ordered last night (laughs) today? Or could I wait, you know, a few days? Um, And, and like, there has to be some cultural pushback against this. It's just a regulatory pushback and cultural pushback. It's um, as you said, like the, these, it doesn't feel American. Um, It feels like it feels like something that should be happening somewhere else. And what's sad is that the more it happens, um, the longer we sort of stand for it, um, the more it's going to be normalized. Yeah. and will' be part of our culture.
0: The, the more it's going to be unavoidable, you know, like there's still plenty of situations yeah. like after the passage of Prop 22, which we talked about on the show uh, after it passed. But we'll let's get into it a little bit today. You know, I'm like, all right, I need to stop taking Ubers and Lyfts because I'm so revolted by what these companies did. I've still had to take them sometimes yeah. uh, because there's no you know, there's no other choice. And part of that's because you were talking about prices rising, right? And, and, you know, how the monopoly works. And and there's a really great example of that that I think has really directly affected everybody, um, which is, you know, like you say, venture capitalists pour money into these companies to keep their prices low. And they're doing that because they're trying to establish a monopoly. And if you look at airport transportation, for instance, there used to be this company called Super Shuttle. You remember Super mm-hmm. Shuttle? Oh, and yes. And I used to take it all the time. You could take a, super, you, you booked ahead of time, a Super Shuttle will pick you up from your Home, take you to the airport or vice versa. You could either do a shared ride for cheaper, where the, where they make a couple other stops, or you could get a direct ride. It cost about the same as an Uber for a direct ride, or a little bit less. Um, but that company is now out of business nationally. It used to be at like dozens of airports and it's straight up does not exist anymore. And that as an option to get to and from LAX, very difficult airport to get to simply does not exist, um, because they were pushed out of the market and it was a cheaper option. That was better for the environment because it was a shared ride. And, uh, it's, it's gone now. And the same thing is happening in so many other industries and, so, you know, there's this thing in America, and you're talking about our culture. There's this thing in America of, well, if you don't like the job, get a better job. That job is just for people who aren't good enough to get some better job elsewhere. Except that okay. these companies are eliminating the better jobs. There's they're ceasing to exist because of because, because of their explicit business model of creating a monopoly. There are no better
1: 100%. retail jobs. I just one of the when I first started doing research with Uber and Lyft drivers, um, I remember I I was talking to this um, to this guy who lived in the Bay Area. His wife was in a union; she was a Longshore Union um, worker, and he had been uh, a unionized carpenter for for most of his life until he hurt his back. And um, and this is like you know a white working class guy with a strong. Um, st- sort of strong union identity, and he started uh, first. He started doing trucking, long haul trucking. After he heard his back, and he said that that was like the same system. You know, you hardly made any money, and he was away from his family. And then this is when Uber, Uber, and Lyft first started. He started driving for Lyft, and he, you know, ju- this is the same story. He started making a lot of money because that's how they lured drivers into the work, and then they lowered prices and lowered prices and lowered prices or wages, and so workers got stuck after buying a car. And he said to me, you know, Dina, I used to laugh at the Walmart workers. I used to say, like, if it sucks so bad, just go get another job. Mm -hmm. And then I got stuck in this position where I had bought a car. And this was this was, you know, soon after not not that long after the recession, when there weren't that many other jobs, Um, I bought a car, and I'm stuck. And there's not a lot else I can do. And so this is what I'm doing. And it took him a few years. I followed up with him sort of recently, and he said he was eventually able to get out of it, but it took a long time. And he said, listen, if my wife wasn't a unionized longshore worker, I could never have gotten out of it. It was yeah. the fact that he had one, per- one there, there was one person with a stable income such that he could like, Spend some time trying to find a new job, and you know, and for, in the last few years, unemployment rates went went down, and so there were, was a t- was a tighter labor market. There were there was stuff for him to do, but there often isn't. And yeah. like I know a lot. This argument I hear this all the time from people. Like, if it's so bad, why don't they just leave? And um, and this is like, so frustrating and so stupid <laughs> for for two <laughs> reasons. Um, and, and those two reasons are like. Think about, you know, I think about how 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 long it took my partner to leave the law firm that he was so miserable at. I heard him you know, excuse my language, but I heard him bitch for 10 years before he was able to, there's a lot, it's hard to search for a new job. And there's a huge amount of understandable inertia when you have your identity, you have made a lot of capital investment in this work and it's all wrapped up in it. And they are constantly telling you, we can make this work through all of their bonuses and their algorithms and saying, you know, you can make this work, you can do it, Mm -hmm. pulling you back in. Like There's a lot pushing people to, 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 Keep keep at this work. And the second reason it's so stupid is because work in the U.S., work everywhere really does not accommodate people's basic needs. And our needs are not just to put food on the table and pay for rent. They're also to take care of our kids, to um, to have um, to take care of our elders, to be able to go to the grocery store to do all of this, this stuff and to have, to be able to, you know, take time off to, if you're living a transnational life and your family is in, in India and visiting, I mean, we, the, the rights for workers are so limited as it is. And so when there is, when there is like, you know, a few jobs that allow some degree of flexibility where you can not be fired for not showing up for two weeks Um, like that's really appealing and it's, and it's not possible to, to, to have another type of job that does that. And, um, and so people are stuck. It's not like, it's like, this is a a kind of work that we, that we need, but also that we really need to improve.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk before we go to break, because we mentioned prop 22, um, and we talked about that last with uh, in our interview with Meredith Whitaker about, um, right after it was passed and, uh, what a, what a disaster it was. Um, uh, but there has been some pretty big news about it recently. Would you mind? And I first learned about it from you on Twitter. You kind of broke the news almost, uh, <laughs> you, well, for a lot of I people you did anyway, because I think you're just sitting around reading court filings all day. You've got to somehow you get a pin yeah. on your phone when a new PDF comes out from the California Supreme Court. What is the new update? <laughs> Actually, really quick recap on what Prop 22 is and then what is the recent update on it?
1: Sure. So I, I, I in a recent article, I have called Prop 22 the new racial wage code. It is the most dangerous labor law that has been passed in the last 50 years. Um, what it do, does is create a substandard category of employment for workers who are doing transportation network work and workers who are doing um, food delivery work. Um, And so for these particular sectors, there are all new um, labor laws. The minimum wage has completely gone. Overtime is completely gone. Vehicle reimbursements are completely gone. Unemployment insurance is completely gone and workers' compensation is completely gone. It's noteworthy that this is probably um, ride hailing in particular is one of the most dangerous occupations in the country, according Mm. um, according to OSHA. So um, what's happening in this context is really that taxpayers are subsidizing these companies that fit into this category of transportation network company and um, delivery network company. Because without health insurance, without um, appropriate workers' compensation, uh, without unemployment insurance, without the minimum wage, a lot of these workers are relying on public benefits and public services, even though they're working some 60 hours a week
0: and this was a proposition that was passed in california as a result of a really misleading marketing campaign that that uber and lyft paid they yes. put like hundreds of millions of dollars into claiming yep. that this was going to help workers when actually it was taking protections away from them
1: that's really well put. That's exactly what they did. They um, spent 225 million dollars flooding the airways with misinformation, um, saying that that this was going to give new protections to workers when in fact it took away protections from workers. Um, saying that workers of color in particular re- really needed it, um, and that this is somehow progressive. And um, at the same time, as the same time as they were calling themselves anti-racist, com- a com- you know, anti-racist companies that stood with mm. the Black Lives Matters movement, they were taking. Taking away rights from a majority, um, racial minority, and immigrant workforce. So, really perverse outcome. I don't think that most um, most Californians who voted understood the bill because it was a really complicated and b they were misinformed. Um, so it passed, and um, and it was law uh, until recently. So last month, mm. um, I believe it was August 21st, um, a superior court in California found the, the proposition to be unconstitutional.
0: Wow. Um, according this will, to yes. the California con- state constitution. Like, according
1: to the California state constitution. So um, it was based in sort of a technical... Um, technical finding. um, Basically, the workers' compensation scheme that we have in California is in the California Constitution, and it gives the legislature plenary power, full power to create a complete workers' compensation scheme for workers. And because Prop 22 took away the ability to create a scheme like that, for these, the sectors of, of the, um, of the workforce, the court found that it, it was in violation of the California Uh. constitution. So very, very technical, um, technical sort of legal analysis there. Um, but rooted in the reality that these laws were written to protect all vulnerable workers, marginalized workers. And so, um, you know, very exciting. The court found it unconstitutional. The companies who are interveners in the lawsuit, um, the lawsuit is actually being defended by the state because now that it's law, the state has to defend it. Um, Mm -hmm. But so the companies are interveners in the lawsuit. They, you know, vowed to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, But what's, what's important to note is that this Supreme Court, this California Supreme Court is the same Supreme Court that uh, that, that decided, unanimously decided the decision in Dynamics um, in 2018. And it was the Dynamics decision that ultimately led to AB5, which led to Prop 22.
0: Right. OK, so I think I understand how this works. I'm a new resident of California, and so I've been trying to figure out the political system, but I think I figured out how this works. The The California Supreme Court, number of years ago, actually Ruled uh, that uh, a lot of companies were were misclassifying their workers as contractors rather than employees. As a result of that decision, the California legislature was basically compelled to pass this big law, AB5, that fixed that classification problem. But the problem for Uber and Lyft was that that made all of their, uh, you know, supposed contractors, employees as well, and gave them all these wonderful protections. And Uber and Lyft didn't like that. So they passed this Prop 22 to get them out of that again. And now they're saying they're going to take it to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court is the same body that was actually protecting workers in the first place and so might not look kindly on that. So, OK. That that's was perfect. So- you should come teach my class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I am like to dabble. You know, I like to dabble in explaining. Uh, in, in, it was I really to be a great. Day. Thank you. I want well, I wanted to be a college professor and I couldn't hack it in grad school. So instead, I explain things uh, using my layman's dumb, dumb comedy uh, uh, tools. Well, it but, makes it
1: much more effective. I mean, <laughs> people understand it. So <laughs>
0: well, well, so that that's that's reason for a little bit of optimism then on this point. Yeah, is it, I'm is feeling it not? optimistic. Wow. I am feeling
1: really optimistic. I mean, this is a question of this is a, a question of first impression. This, there's not been a lot of precedent that we can like look to and say, "Oh, this is what the court has said before." Um, but I'm I am optimistic.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, on that optimistic note, let's go to break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some more depressing uh, aspects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. I'm guessing we'll find more optimism. We'll find more depression. We'll be right back with more Vina Dubal. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you want to safeguard yourself like that and live with a peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeletemecom Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeletemecom Adam
1: welding instructor alex DeClaire knows vr training platforms like forge fx help students master their skills
0: there's a big learning curve with welding virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need learn more at meta.com metaverse impact okay we're back with Vina dubal um So one thing that I know that you've written about is how what these tech companies are trying to do and what all of really corporate America is trying to do, trying to increase worker precarity, reduce wages, basically create monopolies and squeeze workers to to make more profits. Uh, That that is not something that is just going to happen to gig workers, that that is something that really affects all of us. Uh, Can you elaborate on that, please?
1: Absolutely. So, um, something that happened after Prop 22 passed, I think the next day, Sean Carillon, who is a partner at, um, at, I think it's called Menlo Ventures, they were an early Uber investor. He wrote an op ed called What Prop 22 Makes Possible. And in the op ed, he offered a fascinating window into the world of venture capital. He said, Um, This is basically amazing. We can now gigify um, retail. We can gigify healthcare. We can gigify education. Um, Like this is a very exciting thing for venture capital. And that's kind of what we were saying all along. That Prop 22 was not just about ride hail work or food delivery work, that this was about labor standards more broadly. That companies since um, since 1934, you know, 36 or whenever, when the when the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed, have been trying to get out from underneath the minimum wage and overtime, and they successfully did it. And again, like the normalization of this kind of precarious work um, ultimately means that it's going to spread because we get used to it. Um, and so... You know, I, for me, the Prop 22 fight and ultimately what happens with the constitutionality of this fight and, and the fight that's been hap- that that will happen all over the country. You know, they're trying to introduce a similar, or they have introduced a similar initiative in Massachusetts. There's some talk of it in, in Illinois as well. Um, the more that this spreads and the more that this is normalized, the more that this is not just going to be about food delivery and ride hail. This is going to be about, um, about, Unionized grocery store clerks um, being sent to work um, via an app and no longer getting the minimum wage. It's going to be Mm. about, um, and we already have actually in Silicon Valley uh, uh, substitute teachers um, summoned into work, um, not as employees, but as independent contractors, and they do it through an app. Um, and it's yeah. not just the app, right? Like, yes, you, you, you're like the app is the convenient aspect of it to 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 get people into work, maybe to help them, um, to help them pick their schedule, what have you. It's the labor conditions that the app has come to represent, uh, and that's what these venture capitalists want to spread because the lower the labor conditions, um, the lower. Uh, their labor overhead and the more profit that they're able to generate for shareholders.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it just creates a model of work that they are able to impose on workers. I mean, this happened in, California, uh, there was, uh, this was mm, not quite a year ago, but there was, you might remember the details more than, more than I do, but there was a grocery chain in California that announced that it previously did grocery delivery. They had union drivers doing it the old fashioned way. Yeah. You go on the website, you call the store, you know, the kind of thing for elderly folks get my, you know, get my groceries delivered. They had union drivers doing it. And they announced that they were laying them all off and replacing them with, uh, app drivers um because that's what prop 22 allowed prop 22 said prop 22 didn't say uber lyft and instacart it said app-based drivers and services like oh okay well if we make our delivery program on an app we can get rid of all these union workers and uh, i don't remember how that story ended i remember the union was trying to fight it but that was like this is what we should expect to see yeah Further yeah, across I the mean, country.
1: And notably this didn't just happen in California. So this was um this was at the Albertsons uh, conglomerate, which owns Safeway and Ralph's and um and they did this all over the country in, in response to the passage of Prop 22 because for them Prop 22 symbolized, okay, this is okay. California yeah. is like what every other state follows. So we're going to go ahead and lay off, all, go ahead and lay off all these union workers and instead replace them with DoorDash drivers. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that is that pre- is precisely what they, what they did. I think, you know, another element of this, in addition to the fact that it's spreading and will spread unless we stop it. Um, another element of this that people don't really understand is that it's not just that, that these union workers were replaced with DoorDash drivers. It's that the union workers had Really good secure wages and secure jobs, and um, and the DoorDash drivers didn't, do not have secure jobs. They do not even are not even able to predict their wages, and they're hyper controlled on the job. So mm. um, while the while the union guy might have a relationship with his supervisor and be able to say. Hey, you know, you know, my son is really sick. Can I, um, can I take the day off or, um, or, you know, I'm sorry, I need to take this phone call, talk to my son's teacher. And that's like, okay, because he has some power in the workplace and his, and his job is secure. Um, these DoorDash drivers are at the whim and whimsy of algorithms. So, um, an algorithm might think that you made a mistake when you didn't, um, and you have no recourse. And we saw this also in the Amazon context, where um, where you know these workers are basically surveilled all the time by video. Um, they are wearing technology that. Uh, that tracks their movement, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And machines make mistakes just like humans make mistakes. And people were being automatically laid off in instances where they didn't have an ability to, and I mean, I say this in the past tense, but it's very much the present tense, um, in instances where they don't even have the ability to contest, um, to say, no, I was there, or no, I was actually I met the quota. It the system just didn't pick it up or this the the system made a mistake. And like when you're arguing with an with a machine, yeah. uh, that's very different than arguing or, with the supervisor. Or
0: What about like, you know, I have a bladder infection today. I need to go to the bathroom 100%. a little bit more often. You you say that to any boss, any boss goes, "Okay, fine. go to the bathroom." You know, I get it, right? Or at least any night any normal person, right? You can appeal to someone's humanity um and say, hey, today something happened. This is within the realm of like it's in the human social realm, right? Where we understand everybody's a person and right. we treat each other as people, but you can't say that to an algorithm. And then the boss comes and says, Okay, well, the algorithm says you did a bad job and my hands are tied because I just have to do what the algorithm says too. Yeah. And so therefore you are fired. It removes the human social element from the workplace entirely in a really destructive way
1: 100% and it's not doesn't i mean oftentimes in at these places the boss never even comes in mm-hmm. they're just automatically fired like the even the even the termination is 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 automated and um and yeah the the human element of it the fact that we're humans that have needs and um and aren't robots like that is completely yeah Um, there's no room for that there's no room for humanity in 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 this kind of surveilled work Um, and unfortunately you know going back to our early part of our conversation this these kinds of things are experimented on um on low-wage workers so a lot of a lot of these surveillance technologies were first implemented in what we call the gig economy um they were then pushed into these warehouses. And during the pandemic, the same surveillance technologies were used to surveil at home desk workers. So when everyone went Mm. home, um, all of a sudden, there was they had to download, you know, videos that tried to take tried, but I would say, couldn't gauge, um, tried to gauge productivity. And, um, and, Again, like this is these these are cultures and practices and um, and technologies that we had already seen with low wage workers that spread to other workers, and so um, you know people have been being surveyed are being surveilled based on in this continuing to happen based on how many keystrokes they um, that they yeah. make, whether it seems like they are not visibly on the screen or not, um, uh, you know their, um, their, what, what websites they're visiting, um, like all kinds of uh, things yeah. that just like, wasn't common for office work all of a sudden has become quite common.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you start talking about it this way, you start to see it everywhere. Like we're, I'm seeing it so strongly in my own industry, the entertainment industry, which people think of as being a very well-paid industry that is the uh, white collar isn't quite the right word, but it's, you know, a, uh, a uh, prestigious industry where people are compensated accordingly. That's the general impression. Now, a lot of that is because it's an extremely strong industry in terms of labor. We've had a very strong labor culture in, right. in the L.A.-based and New York-based industry for a long time. But it's now dominated by a handful of tech companies. It's literally dominated by Netflix Amazon, mm-hmm. Apple, and then Warner and Disney are the other two and they're they're trying to become tech companies as fast as they can. And already like right now our big the big crew union IATSE which represents all the people, you know, behind the camera. Um they are in the middle of a contract negotiation right now and they are literally fighting for meal breaks. They're fighting to be able to so have sad. lunch in the middle of a of literally these crews work a minimum of 12 hour days and often 16, 18 hour days. So the their their literal bargaining points are we need a meal break, we need to be able to get 10 hours off a night in enough time to drive home, go to sleep, and come back. And we need weekends off. That is that is like,
1: <laughs> it's like seems the pretty most basic. Base.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is back to what the labor union fought for. You know, the, the labor we always say it, the labor union created the 40-hour work week, the labor union created weekends off. Right. And and we're back to that point again. Um it's it's insanity. And then I look at like the literal gigification of it. I'm sorry to go on, but this is like oh my god. No, gosh. yeah,
1: it's very when, important.
0: When I look at um services like Twitch, for instance, the video game streaming website, mm-hmm. which I use. That site is literally in competition with Netflix, with CBS, with all of them for entertaining eyeballs, right? And who is providing the content on Twitch? It's legions of largely unpaid gig workers. You know, you log on to Twitch, you create an account, and Twitch starts going – uh, hey, you know what would get you closer to, to partner status would be if you started streaming every day, if you set a schedule, yeah. if you stream for 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours a week. And if you do that long enough, we might start cutting off a little bit of revenue share from the ad sales. We might start doing that. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, like what if Uber said – you, you know, you drive around for free for a couple of years and we'll see if we start giving you a little bit of the amount. Oh, that totally. I mean,
1: in, in some ways they do like 20 percent of workers in the Bay Area after they after they consider their expenses are making zero dollars.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: like this is this is a, like across across these tech companies. And what's important to note,
0: car payment, all those 100
1: percent. Yeah. Gas. And what's important. Yes. And what's important to note is that this is not like the necess necessarily the. Um, It it does not have to be this way like technology and labor don't have to be about exploitation like you can totally imagine a world in which technologies are being used to make um, the life of workers better. You know, like you can Mm -hmm. imagine a world in which flexibility is totally infused into the entire work um, service work economy where you get to choose your schedules um, because it's so easy to centralize everyone's schedules on via an app. And um, and you still get paid the minimum wage and overtime. You still get your shift. It's just like better for you. But instead, you have the confluence of monopolization and tech companies um, and and what matters in the end is shareholder value, not worker satisfaction or worker um, worker security or stability. So, yeah, I mean, this whole it's very, as you say, very, very common in um, in L.A. Um, with with, you know, the, the ascent of YouTubers, Instagrammers, influencers, gamers, all of these people working so precariously without any safety net. And these companies, while they're paying work, I mean, these are workers. Um, these yeah. video gamers are workers. While they're not paying the workers, um, they're making so much money off of their labor. The companies are also not paying into any form of social insurance. So the government mm-hmm. is not is not getting, you know, social security. They're not getting unemployment. What happened during the pandemic was all of those people didn't like, they had to apply for pandemic unemployment assistance, which was like this emergency stopgap measure for independent contractors. Um, Ultimately that came from taxpayer money. Like that didn't come from, from just like, you know, it wasn't pulled out of the air. It came from a reserve that the government has created over time.
0: When that union delivery worker, right, they're laid off so that they can a, door, a DoorDash worker can be hired again. So now that worker is working DoorDash contractor instead of working union. So they don't have health benefits anymore and they go on Medicaid, right, in order to get uh health yep. benefits or or uh, you know, a similar program. Yeah, we are literally paying for that. We are literally subsidizing it when the company was previously Paying for it, the vast
1: majority of these workers do not have health insurance, and and are on some form of public assistance.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, are is is this in any way like the more we talk about it, it seems unsustainable to me because uh, you know if you're if you're a company like the uh, uh, you know like the the Albertsons chain. Uh, that is, you know, turning these workers from, you know, people who aren't able to make a living into precarious gig workers who are, uh, you know, don't have health insurance and don't have enough money to live. Well, you're also reducing the number of people who <laughs> are going to be
1: get able get to buy. Delivered. That is 100 percent. And this is what led to the Great Depression. I mean, it was it was the Whoa. exact same thing. Like you had these um, the Gilded Age, which which is this age of like mass monopoly. Um, you know we think of the railroads and the monopolies that they had over getting, Um, people and things um, to to out west and just in general um, Mm -hmm. from from point a to point b um, and you had people unemployment rates were really really high um, and because there wasn't a lot of work spreading they were you know just getting as much as they could out of each person because there was you know very very few to any any regulations and um, and then we had like massive labor strife I mean the kinds of um, of direct actions work stoppages, protests that we had in the early 20th century I think are kind of unimaginable to many of us today because we've lived in a period of, of relative stability but that is rapidly changing you had yeah. people who were really hungry, people who were working that were really hungry who couldn't who couldn't pay for their for their rent or who were living on the streets homelessness was 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 through the roof. We're in rapidly declining into that same kind of sounds situation. like you're
0: describing today. A hundred. Yeah, no, a hundred percent,
1: hundred percent. And so part of me doesn't like I know that these companies I think about this all the time, like these companies, they hire social scientists to figure out how to manipulate workers, um, you know, their behavior in, in app through the algorithms. Um, but they don't hire historians. And a historian would say, "Look, <laughs> there's got to be some limit to this because when people cannot make ends meet, when they are working sixty hours and their kids are hungry, they're going to revolt. There is like this is not stable. Um, this yeah. is not this is not lend itself towards stability. And so, if you know, in fact, you you don't want to have to deal with a union." or you don't want to have to deal with, um, with a lot of work stoppages and direct actions and slowdowns. And what you're going to need to do is to, um, to make people happy. I mean, the, like mm-hmm. the, the union consultants will tell you that like the, one of the best ways to stop a union drive is to make the workers happy. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, like, no one wants to be there you know no one wants us we're I, I not I don't know what it's like in Los Angeles but in San Francisco in the last five years homelessness is become very visible there are a lot and increased dramatically a mm-hmm. lot of homeless encampments all over the place honestly it looks like um, it looks like Bombay my family's from Bombay and yeah. when I drive around in San Francisco I think this is very similar to um, to Bombay slums like the, there are actual slum communities in San Francisco in this yeah. like incredible One of the wealthiest places in the world, Um, and and when we have conditions like that, there, you know, there's going to be, there's not going to just be hunger. There's going to be rebellion.
0: Yeah, but that I mean, you know, there's also. Uh, there's places in the, one of the things I I remember uh, traveled to India for the first time in my life a few years ago was how normalized some of that that's was. That's 100% right? right, yeah. Where where you've got incredible wealth and you've got incredible poverty side by side and people, some people, I, I'm not going to say how many, um, but, you know, are like, hey, that's just the way it is, right? That's exactly. the way it's always been. That's the way it is. And somebody said that to me about Los Angeles, that like the worst part about it is kids growing up Saying, oh yeah, there's just homeless encampments around. I'm rich, there's a lot of poor people here, and that's how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And that's we don't want people to feel that way. We want to keep that horror. Yeah, and that shock no. About
1: it. I mean, the thing about interestingly, I mean, the thing about some a place like India is that you have the slums, but you also have a lot of labor agitation. There are strikes are mm. everyday part of people's lives. Um, it's just like I lived there for a year, and I think in that one year. The transportation workers struck three times um, wow. over a period of many, many days, and so, or at least that's how I remember it. I, you know, I, 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 what I remember is just thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's so interesting." And during those time periods, we were told, like, stay inside, don't, don't, um, don't leave. Like, it could get really violent. Um, and so, wow. that's also something that we haven't, we haven't seen yet, but we will see. Um, we will yeah. see if if this continues, if we continue down the road that we're on.
0: Well, uh, are we starting to see that pushback because like you said there's you know prop 22 was found uh you, you know found unconstitutional in California there is this law the P, the Amazon P break law is sitting on <laughs> Gavin Newsom's desk right uh, hopefully he yeah. signs it but you know at least it it made it that far and and i literally have seen there is a new rideshare service that just opened, i don't want to call it a rideshare service I'll call it a car service app based car service that uh-huh. opened in LA i think it's also in Dallas called Ow. Alto. I've used it myself. It pays. And part of its pitch, I'm not saying this is the best service in the world. I'm not pitching this. Uh Right. But part of its pitch is our drivers, are employees, and they make a minimum wage, which in California is $15 an hour. And that's still not enough based on how expensive LA is. But at least, you know, when I use it, I'm like, all right, this person doesn't have to bring their own car. They are not, uh, they are paid, For every hour that they work, they're not just paid when they're driving me, and it's a normal job, and that is at least a little bit better. And most importantly, this service is advertising itself that way because they know that people don't like this about Uber and Lyft. So to me, that's a little bit of a bing, 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 bing. Are we starting to see a culture shift around these issues?
1: I think that we are, and not just around these issues, but just around labor issues more broadly. In the last two years, we've seen record number of of strikes, and these are legal strikes. So strikes in mm. um, in like in the Uber and Lyft economies are actually considered illegal strikes um, because of how the workers are classified. Um, but we've seen a record number of 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 direct actions, work stoppages um, through unions just in the last two years, more than we've seen since the early 1980s, since the the Reagan era. Um, And I think that that the the evidence also suggests that the vast majority of of Americans think think well of unions, that they believe in labor organizing. Um, Also a pretty big shift in how we we understand, have understood the economy for the last two decades. And so um, definitely, I think, you know, there is real reason to be hopeful. And I think the fact that we're even having this conversation is really meaningful um that people are interested in this topic, that they are thinking about the workers who are who are making their lives convenient, making their lives possible. Um, I think that all of that is real reason to be hopeful because that's how transformation occurs is through conversations like, you know, um the fact that you and I are having this conversation and all these people are going to be listening and then they're going to talk to their friends about it. Like that kind of awareness um, seems sort of small, but is actually transformational. Um, and oh, yeah. and I think that that all of that gives us gives us reason to be hopeful.
0: Well, so that awareness is great. And I love I love that optimism and I do share it. Um, and the awareness that hopefully we're building for people listening to this and, and, you know, that is built on social media is really good. But I always notice there's that step of, OK, now what do I now do? I, like people, yeah. people are so quick to say, OK, do I delete my app? Like okay, I'll I'll I will i will not use it or or tip. Hey, make sure you tip cash, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think we all have an awareness that that is maybe not the the mass action that is needed. <laughs> yeah. And so and so, what do you suggest for folks listening at home who say like, oh my gosh, I'm really upset that Amazon folks at Amazon are are their bladders are bursting. How can I pitch in?
1: Yeah. So two things I would say. Um, one is you can. Uh, support independent organizing. Like, if you want to, if you want to, feeling guilty about um, <laughs> about um, about using Amazon, you can, um, you know, as spend a little bit of money, any like $20, $15, and send it to an independent um, organizing group. So two that I can think of that do really amazing work are Rideshare Drivers United um, based in LA and also Gig Workers Collective. Um, These these are workers who hardly make any money, who are not receiving um, a lot of funding, even from, from labor unions for various reasons. Um, but could really, really use support. So I would say that's mm. one sort of basic thing. Um, another thing is to respect um, boycotts and strikes. So this week, um, uh, Instacart workers have been asking uh, consumers to delete Instacart um, to send a message. Um, so sort of spread, spread, that, um, spread that message and sort of uh, respect the picket line, so to speak. Um, yeah. And I think those two things actually are huge. And um, and when when it's possible, um, when there are protests, when there are strikes, go out and support them. Um, vote for people who support labor. Make it clear to your um, to your Congress people, to your representatives, that you care about these issues and that you want them to act on these issues and to not be beholden to big tech. Um, that's another. It's a third thing that's really that uh, that can that will go go really far. Um, and and I would say, again, that just, again, like, really just talking about these things has yeah. the potential to the narrative, to shift the narrative, to not normalize it. Like, that is, in and of itself, is actually a very important form of resistance.
0: Yeah, just letting people know that when your friend is like, oh, the Uber drivers, they're all doing side hustles so they can buy their girlfriends an extra dinner, like the Uber ad says, you can be like no actually it's like primarily like people of color it's immigrant folks who are working i forget the number but a massive number of uber drivers are driving you know 40 hour 50 hour weeks in it for full time and that this is really precarious work
1: 100 percent. almost all the work that's being done um, for these companies is being done by full-time drivers they love to talk about how this is a side hustle for, for most people but in fact you are much more likely to be in the car with someone who's been driving for 60 hours a week and and, and your safety is bound up in theirs. Um, so that's another thing, thing to think about about yeah. why labor standards for the service economy are really important. You don't want your food service worker to not be able to stay home um, when they have COVID. You don't you don't want that.
0: Yeah. And even if you're not using those services, you're driving on the same roads as them, as that overworked person who's tired behind the wheel, who yeah, might, you might swerve and, and hit you. you and know, and, if that, they and fall that's asleep, just not a hypothetical.
1: Uh, or, right. I mean, it's not hypothetical. We know in markets where these companies enter that um, traffic accidents go up and direct causal relationship.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, we, we ended on your, on your stirring positive call to action. Then we veered back into the process. <laughs> it's so hard. That's, 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 that's one, who I again. am.
1: It's always negative. <laughs>
0: <laughs> same. Uh, oh, same here. That's why people listen to the show because they like that shit. And that's why they <laughs> came in the door. So this has been a wonderful conversation, Vina. Thank you so much. Thank you and, for having uh, me on. That. Yeah. We'll have to have you on again soon. After, love there's, it. after there's a bunch of, after there's more seismic activity in tech and labor. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Well, thank you once again to Vina Dubal for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you want to support the show, head to factuallypod.com books to check out our special bookstore with books from authors that we have had on the show. Your purchase goes to support not just this show, but your local bookstore. And that is it for us this week on Factually. I want to thank our producers, Sam Rodman and Chelsea Jacobson, uh, our engineer, Ryan Connor, Andrew W.K. for our theme song, The Fine Folks at Falcon Northwest, for building me the incredible custom gaming PC that I'm recording this very episode on, you can find me online at adamconover.net or at Adam Conover. Send me an email at factually at net. I love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factually. That was a HeadGum Podcast.